the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Opinions expressed in the following program may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Keep on in Colorado. Hello and welcome. My name is Maria Oliver. I am your host, and this week we are going to look back at 2018. Yeah, like it's already over. <laughs> We're looking back at the top movies this go round. And with us this week we have John Wenzel. He's a reporter and critic for the Denver Post. He's contributed articles for Esquire, uh, Rolling Stone, The Guardian, as well as being a nonfiction writer. But this week, he's going to put on his movie critic hat for us, and we're going to do a little bit of an informal countdown. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's jump right into it, starting at number 10. Now, the list is is a, a bit of a compilation of movies that I want to see, and then movies that, as a Marvel fanatic, I have had to see. <laughs> so let's go ahead and start at the bottom. Number 10. Why do you paint? I paint, as a matter of fact, to stop thinking. Uh, a sort of, of meditation. When I paint, I stop thinking. About what? I stop thinking, and I feel that I'm a part of everything outside inside of me. At Eternity's Gate. That's not one that, that I got to see. Can you tell us a, a little bit about it? Yeah, it wasn't a, a blockbuster or anything, but this movie is about Van Gogh. And so Willem Dafoe plays mm. um, Vincent Van Gogh, uh, Oscar Isaac, who a lot of people may remember from Star Wars or Ex Machina. Um, um, but really, it's, it's Dafoe's movie. He just kind of plays you know, Van Gogh's last days. And it's not all depressing. It's actually a really kind of beautiful, spiritual movie. Um, so I really enjoyed that one. And we haven't really seen Willem in a lot lately, not really. So that in and of itself is we're checking it out. Yeah. Number nine. We got The Incredibles and Ralph Breaks the Internet. So Incredibles 2 and Ralph Breaks the Internet, they're sort of tied for me with my favorite animated film of the year. Um, at least ones that I saw. There's, there's a few out there that look incredible that I haven't seen. I still haven't seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That looks really good. It's getting really good reviews. Mm. But um, but these two I thought were great. And, you know, they're both sequels to um, Disney Pixar films. Well, I guess Ralph is a Disney film, not really Pixar-related. But um, Incredibles 2 was definitely a Pixar film. And they just took their original concepts in interesting directions. Incredibles 2 explores a little bit more of... Um, the mom character, Mrs. Incredible, and 
Ralph Breaks the Internet explores a little bit more of the Internet, which, as we know, is sort of a fraught place these days. Oh, yeah. Um, it's lots of sensitive, outraged people, lots of <laughs> political discord. Um, and but, but they both do it in really interesting ways. So um, I, I, I really liked both of those. They weren't too preachy. Mm. People are afraid of that, but they also weren't afraid to say things. Number eight. Can you forgive me? Now, is that Melissa McCarthy in a serious role? It is. Isn't that strange? Um, yeah. <laughs> she got a lot of she got a lot of guff this year for being in some not so great movies, including that Muppet one, mm-hmm. um, the Something Murders. <laughs> uh, it was really really bad. One of the worst of the year. But this, this is great. This is one of her best roles ever. She plays um, a writer in this, a novelist uh, who's an alcoholic. It's kind of a you know. Somewhat of a period drama, somewhat of a um, character study, but she's really, really good as a dramatic uh, actor, as mm-hmm. some people may or may not know. But um, totally worth checking out. Funny, sort of heartfelt, um, but mostly just just rings true. Yeah, and actually, I've, I've noticed that a lot of our, our best comedians, and, and this is Jim Carrey included, when they do decide to go dramatic, it, it's panned, but it's it's beautiful, and it's just, I don't know, I guess there's a, a depth in comedy that we just haven't scratched the surface of, I guess. Yeah, well, I, and I think it's because some people get up on stage to become stand-ups or writers or, you know, sketch performers when they really want to be actors or they really are meant to be actors, and some people are really good stand-ups and really good actors, and... So I think it's kind of give and take, but um, in her case, I mean, I would love to see her in more dramatic roles after those. Lovely. Kicking the doors open. Number seven. We should go, Josie. How long was your husband in the shimmer? It's hard to say exactly. Theoretically, as long as a year. It's a long time to be inside and remain intact. Not so sure it was intact. I'm right. About the refractions, weren't I? Yeah. I checked my blood last night. It's in me. It will be in all of us. Now, this is a movie that I have not had a chance to see, and I kind of feel like I should say spoiler alert to myself, but it's too late. I've already yeah. got you on the line. <laughs> Annihilation. Annihilation. Yeah, that was number seven this year. And that is a strange movie, to say the least. Um, there's probably lots of symbolism in it if you want to look for it, um, but if you take it even at just face value, it is an insane movie. It's, it's a mostly female cast. They're explorers. They're, you know, ex-military. It's directed by Alex Garland. Um, it's definitely one of those films that it's better to know as little as possible going into it. But it's got a big twist, a big reveal at the end, and it's stuck with me in a way that very few other movies have, and that's all I'll say about it. Okay, okay. Now, <laughs> now we're getting to the portion of the list that I am familiar with. Number six. Yeah. Avengers Infinity Wars. Oh, that was so good. Uh, my brother and I have a, a bit of a thing. We make sure we always go see every Marvel movie together, and that was, it was beautiful, just just visually beautiful. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it continued the high production values and, you know, 
quality control that Marvel has had on the last few. But it really made a good argument that Marvel is doing some of the best big-budget work in Hollywood history. I mean, people pan superhero movies as being, um, you know, mindless, tentpole, things like that. They talk a lot about superhero fatigue. We got some of the best superhero movies in movie history this year. And I would count Avengers Infinity War among that. I mean, there is a lot of busy CGI fights and a lot of characters to keep track of. But, I mean, come on, they've been building to this for a decade and 18 movies, and this is the pinnacle of it, and uh, it didn't disappoint. And, you know, for people out there who know what the, the big ending is um, that leads into part four that's going to come out in May of next year, mm-hmm. they know how impactful that was. And people who haven't seen it, um, they're in for a big surprise. But it did a really good job juggling all these threads and pieces and that's sort of a mixed metaphor, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's go there. Spoiler alert, people. If you haven't seen Avengers Infinity War, turn off your radio right now. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about Thanos' worldview. That right. they're entirely <laughs> too... And honestly, after me and my brother got over the hype and, and watched the movie and we're sitting down afterwards having lunch, is his worldview that there are entirely too many of us on this planet exactly incorrect and does that really mean he really is the bad guy or is he the only one thinking logically about the future of the universe well i think that's the question that the movie wants to raise and i think you know my interpretation of what the movie is saying is that it's worth asking that question you know do we have enough resources and space for all the things that we're creating um on this planet uh Regardless of where you fall on that line, I think what they're further saying is that people who do that kind of stuff unilaterally, who break alliances, who make these huge decisions, and I'm not trying, I'm not trying to make any political commentary here. It's hey, an observation. Hey, um, I went there. It's you know, okay. <laughs> um, you know, like that. Maybe that's when it goes into the craziness. That's when it goes into psychotic genocidal behavior is when <laughs> you do this stuff without any help or discussion or consideration um, and you just do it unilaterally and that's what Thanos does he, he kills off half of all life um, and you know of course we're probably going to see some kind of a twist of that something maybe to do with one of the time crystals um, because you know the infinity gauntlet has that now um, but uh, enough, enough Marvel uh, micro fetishism. <laughs> I'm just saying, even a broken clock is right twice a day. All right, let's right, move exactly. along. <laughs> I think I think you raise a great point, and I and and I do think it's worth thinking about. But I definitely feel like Marvel comes down on the side of this guy went too far, uh, <laughs> as opposed to just what do you think? Maybe we should do this. <laughs> <laughs> no conversation, just wipe you out. Number five, Wakanda forever, Black Panther. Yeah. So so this is a film that arrived with a lot of hype. Um, the director did some really good, well-received stuff before this. Welcome to Fruitvale Station. Um, or, uh, Creed. This was his first big, you know, studio tentpole movie. Ryan Coogler was his name. And, um, and he knocked it out of the park, I thought. Uh, when I reviewed it, I gave it four stars, which I think in hindsight was, was too much. I think I overrated it because I was just so excited mm-hmm. about it. Um, but it really is a phenomenal movie, and not just because it's showing us things we've never seen in superhero movies before, although it's definitely doing that. It's showing us, you know, strong black characters, strong female characters. Strong women. Um, yeah, just, just across the board. I mean, it's just black excellence from top to bottom. But 
at the same time, it's, it also just feels different. It's got a little more of a spiritual bent. It's um, a little more concerned with legacy and tradition than some of the, you know, just explosion fests that these films tend to be. So I loved it. It's on Netflix right now. If anyone listening uh, hasn't seen it, it's worth checking out. Um, I think because of their cultural cachet of it, you know, people were so excited about it. And maybe it's not the best superhero movie ever, but it definitely got people out to the theaters. I mean, it was the third. Right now, it's the third highest grossing film of all time in American either U.S. or uh, North American box office behind uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens and something else. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a big deal. So it wasn't just my imagination because it it felt like for a couple of months, like all you were hearing was Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther, Danae, 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 all over. And I think, did she get a spinoff movie out of this? They're talking about it, yeah. Okay. Number four. So how you doing? I'm doing great, you know, just, um, um, just doing what needs to be done. What does that mean? I'm sorry, Dad, um, why don't we just have lunch and talk? We can do that, right? Mm. Please, you think that you have this under control. I understand why I do things. It doesn't make me any different. You're just embarrassed because I was like, you know, I was like this amazing thing, like your special creation or something, and you don't like who I am now. Yeah, who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad. Here, this is who I am. This is not you. This is not you, Nick. Now, here's one that I haven't seen yet. Beautiful Boy. Yeah, so this is more of a quiet kind of drama. Um, Steve Carell stars as a dad. He's a writer for, you know, freelancer for the New York Times and other publications. And his son is played by Timothy Chalamet, who some people may, may remember. Um, he had a breakout year last year. So Timothy Chalamet plays Steve Carell's son in this, and it's based on their memoirs. Um, Steve Carell's character and Timothy Chalamet's character in real life both wrote memoirs, and they combine this into this film, and it's a look at addiction, which is very... You know, timely, maybe some people will roll their eyes at that because there has been a lot of <laughs> hand-wringing and, you know, hard moments thinking about this nation's op- opioid crisis yeah. in recent months. But this isn't so much about that. It doesn't, you know, aestheticize um, partying. It doesn't, you know, just focus on all the worst stuff. It's more about what, what does it look like when a family deals with addiction, an honest family. But I thought this was the best of those types of films. Um, Steve Carell is as you noted earlier, an incredible dramatic actor mm-hmm. who's mostly known for comedy um, as, you know, being on The Office and other things. But the, this movie just, uh, I don't know, it's, it was hard to leave the theater and not feel affected by it. Number three. And this one is an oldie but a goodie. Definitely a re-release that, that I saw lines for. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Christopher Nolan, the director of the... the sort of, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s Batman trilogy um, and Dunkirk and a bunch of other movies. He loves 2001, so he advocated for it to be re-released in theaters. But what he did was make sure there were no digital intermediaries. And those are anything that, you know, you scan the film into a computer and then you go in and you take out blemishes and you know, do color correction and things like that. This was, he wanted the film to be released using only, you know, old school techniques, celluloid film, hand, you know, editing, stitching scenes together, finding the best prints. 
And he had old, uh, I believe they were 70 millimeter prints, but maybe 35. I would have to check. Um, he had old, uh, and, and Warner Brothers, old projectors sent to theaters that had this. So because a lot of theaters are all digital now. They don't have old you know, celluloid film projectors. So I went and saw this in Stapleton. That's, that's close to where I live. And it blew me away. I, I could not believe how good this film looked, how well it held up having come out in 1968 mm-hmm. and, you know, influenced everything that's come since then. Correct. Um, but it, it, it just blew my mind. It was, it was a singular cinematic experience, if that doesn't sound too horribly pretentious. No, not, not really, considering the movie we're talking about. No, it really doesn't. Number two. beginning she gave me things perfect balance perfect sleep she wants to get inside of me i can feel her she can see me um now now number two is a movie that i have not heard of yeah suspiria is that how you pronounce that suspiria that's right yeah so and, and and this is where we get to where I should I should definitely remind listeners again that these are my favorite films of the year. I don't think these are necessarily the films that are going to get Oscar noms. You know, they're the top ten highest objective quality films made. But my second favorite film of the year was Suspiria, and that's a remake of um, a '70s horror film by a director, an Italian director named Dario Argento, and it's kind of a cult film. Uh, gotten more notice in recent years. But this is a remake, and the person who remade it um, also directed Call Me By Your Name, which was that, um, that gay romance that got uh, Oscar-nominated last year. And this was a 180 for him, stylistically. It went from, you know, character study to, you know, tense, fraught horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. Suspiria is about uh, a young American woman who goes to Germany to dance in this famous dance troupe. Dakota Johnson. She finds out. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Dakota Johnson, okay. um, former Aspen resident, Dakota Johnson. And uh, she, set, she sees some strange things going on at this dance academy, and she eventually realizes that it's a witch's coven. <laughs> um, so it's a horror movie, but it's very much in the style of 70s horror movies, which I loved. The and, Hammer uh, Horror movie era? Yeah, I mean, more, more like um, sort of European mm-hmm. art house horror movies, you know, washes of color you know, weird camera work, lots of gray. Polanski-ish? Very Polanski-ish, yes. Very like The Tenant um, and and films like that. So uh, it's it's hard, again, it's hard to describe it without ruining some of the plot points, but it was brutal and beautiful at the same time. And the soundtrack was amazing, too. Tom York from Radiohead did the soundtrack, and it's haunting in the, the best way. And number one, insert drum roll here. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, your number one is Black Klansman, and that's Spike yeah. Lee coming back, correct? That's correct, yeah. In a funny way? Yes, and that was, that's what was surprising to me, because this is a story, Black Klansman is a, based on a true story, that happened in Colorado Springs. It was this, uh, the first black police detective in Colorado Springs history was a guy named Ron Stallworth. And he answered a classified ad for the KKK in the late 70s. Um, 
and called them and got in with them basically over the phone. Then he got his partner, who was a white man, to go to the meetings, go undercover, infiltrate the Klan. Um, and this was part of a general, you know, assignment they had to investigate radical groups. It wasn't just the Klan. It was also the Black Panthers, um, you know, motorcycle gangs. But Spike Lee made this movie. It was first going to be directed by Jordan Peele, um, who did Get mm-hmm. Out, and he was in Key and Peele. But he ended up producing it. Spike Lee directed it. And Denzel Washington's son uh, plays the, the John David. Yeah. Plays, yeah, John David Washington. And it, unfortunately, it was not filmed in Colorado. It's one of many films set in Colorado that came out this year that was not filmed here. But I just thought it was a return to form for Spike Lee. He juggles so much stuff in this film, politics, race, um, humor, actual humor, hmm. uh, at, both at the absurdity of the situation and, you know, just jokes that I'm, I'm sure <laughs> were written in and not based on real life. Um, the performances are great. The message is timely, and 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 it is a little controversial. I think some people will see it and hate it and mm-hmm. think that it's too too spikely. Yeah, too spikely, mm-hmm. too on the nose, too heavy-handed. Um, and I think you could maybe make that argument. I I do think there are parts where it's 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 a little bit like, okay, we get it, <laughs> I understand, you know. But I mean, the, what he's talking about is still as true as ever today. Um, there's you know, there's there's no shortage of things to say about race relations. And I think he says some interesting stuff, and he's not just repeating himself. He's not just um, hammering on his old points. Uh, But he uses a 1970s story to do it. I'm a little biased because I went down to, for a Denver Post profile, I went down to El Paso, Texas, where the real-life Ron Stallworth lives these days. And I I spent uh, some time with him and did a profile of him for the Post before this film came out. So I have a a little bit of an appreciation as to, you know, what went into him writing the book that this is based on, which has become a New York Times bestseller. But, you know, I mean, I'm not the only person who feels this way. The movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, um, and it got a standing ovation, like a 10-minute standing ovation. And it's it's already getting talked about for a lot of Oscar nominations. So I'll be interested to see that. Um, but all I know is I can't really think of a film I had more fun or was more affected by this year than Black Klansmen. All right, then. So there's our, our top ten. Are there any movies that, that perhaps you, you didn't get a chance to see, that there was a, a lot of buzz about? I feel like I just didn't get to the movies past, let's see, Equalizer 2 and Mission Impossible Fallout. I'm really, really mainstream and kind of sad in my tastes. Is there anything maybe a little bit more highbrow that, that we should see that maybe slipped under the radar a bit? I mean, sure, and and there's always those, you know, every year, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't get to see all of them either. There were some really great critics' darlings, independent films, um, things that played at the Denver Film Festival, and the Telluride Film Festival this year that were just fantastic. I didn't get to see them either, but um, on my list to see as soon as possible um, is a a quasi-documentary called If Beale Street Could Talk. First Man, which is the latest movie from director Damien Chazelle. He did La La Land with Emma Stone and Ryan mm-hmm. Gosling. That's about uh, the first man on the moon. Um, the Favorite, and that's the British spelling of Favorite, F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that is a period piece, kind of a, kind of a you know, 
bodice ripper in a, of a different sort. Um, Roma, uh, which is a black and white Netflix film that's kind of been in and out of theaters since it debuted. I think it's even coming back. But that's Alfonso Cuaron's new film, uh, Slice of Life from his Mexican upbringing. It looks unbelievable. And I think I already mentioned Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, yes. <laughs> animated film. Um, it has... If it doesn't have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, I think it's it's close to it. But one of the best-reviewed superhero films I've ever come across, and it just looks amazing. And then, you know, there's ones that probably a lot of people will see on these, these year-end lists. First Reformed is a Paul Schrader film about a Catholic priest. Um, Shoplifters is a foreign film. Burning is a foreign film. Um, these are names we'll probably see once Oscars come up. Yeah, um, yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see him either, so I don't get to feel superior to anybody. <laughs> no worries. All righty. We have been speaking with John Wenzel. He took time of his busy schedule. He's a nonfiction writer. He is an entertainment reporter for the Denver Post. He contributes to Esquire, Rolling Stone, and, and this week he sat down and talked with us. And thank you so much, John. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. does it for our show this week. Thank you so much to John Wenzel for sitting down and talking with us and rolling through that top 10. Richard Robertson is the show producer. I'm Maria Oliver, and this is Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.